Today's episode is brought to you by the Calvary Global Network International Conference. The theme of the 2021 CGN International Conference is the way of Jesus. This past year has presented challenges that transcend society and culture, but it didn't change the mission of God to rescue his alienated creation via the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we press into the way of Jesus, we want to approach culture the way that Jesus did. Concepts like human dignity, justice, wisdom, and power are at the forefront of conversations in our culture like never before. Are we understanding and engaging in this dialogue from a worldly definition of these ideas, or do we operate according to the model, message, and method that Jesus gave us in the Gospels? Joining us this year as we dialogue about the way of Jesus are Gavin Ortland, author and missiologist Alan Hirsch, John Jenkins, pastor of First Baptist Church in Glen Arden, Maryland, author and YouTube host Beckett Cook, missionary and Bible College Director Pam Markey, and many more. Sessions will feature live dialogues and Q&As with the speakers, and our interactive, in-person, and online specialized training tracks focus on various aspects of ministry leadership, including the posture of the church in an age of hate, the way of Jesus in a sexually broken culture, spiritual health for spiritual leadership, women in the way of Jesus, and more. The CGN International Conference will be online and in-person at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa from June 28th through July 1st. Registration is open to pastors, church leaders, lay leaders, volunteers, men, women, anyone called to serve Christ and His kingdom. To register and for more information, visit our website at conference.calvarychapel.com. That's conference.calvarychapel.com. We hope to see you there. If you had to ask me now what my sexual attraction is, I would still say that I'm attracted to women. You know, that hasn't changed for me. But what has changed is my view of God and how he comes alongside me in my struggle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good Lion Podcast. I'm Aaron Salvato. And I'm Brian Higgins. And this is our friend, Brenna Blaine. Hey, Brenna. Hey. How you doing? Good. How are you guys? We are doing so good. We're so glad mm-hmm. to have you on the show for the very first time. Hopefully not the last. Uh, definitely not the last. We'll have you again. I'm already calling it. I'm super excited to be here. I think you're the earliest guest that's ever been re-invited. Wow. You're like three (laughs) sentences in and you already are booked for a second one. So I think that's that's high honor. We're we're planning by Aaron. Not sure which. No one can see, but it's because we're all matching. Yes. You just seem like you've always been part of the show. Yeah. A a podcast is not a visual. There's no visual element to a podcast. If you're watching the video, congrats. You're one of the three people that watches the video. But for those of you guys, for those of you guys who can't see, we are all wearing black t-shirts and beanies. Brandon and I are wearing, would you call this orange or brown? Orange is brown? Burned orange. Yeah. And Brian's wearing gray. Gray Wait, are you guys both wearing t-shirts? Because I'm wearing a sweater right now. And it's going to, it's going to become a problem as we go. Behold my arms. Oh, see, wow. my, this is like what a arms? crew neck, right? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. That's okay. I thought I we can... were in sync, guys, but now I'm, I don't know how I'm feeling oh. about this. <laughs> I'm getting uninvited. <laughs> we'll see if that second invite remains by the end yeah. of this. 
I need to do a proper intro of you, Brenna. What kind of podcast host am I? Brenna Blaine is the host of the Can I Say That podcast, which I would say is a much cooler name than the Good Lion podcast. <laughs> I don't want to throw us under the bus, but it's a name I'm a little jealous of. I'm it's not a good lie. name. It's, it invokes like the question, like, oh, can, can I say that? Can mm-hmm. I even say that thing? It's Brenna, a name that, like, I, I could totally just do ten minutes on the name of the podcast <laughs> of that podcast. Let's not. Brenna, okay. why don't you yeah, why don't done. you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your podcast and just who you are and what you do in the ministry world? Yeah, so uh, I started a podcast called Can I Say That about a year and a half ago, and we tackle hard questions that the church sometimes doesn't have time to go into or just avoids out of fear or out of whatever it may be. I grew up in ministry. My parents were in ministry, and. I tried to avoid it for as long as possible. I mean, we'll get into that later, but <laughs> I eventually ended up doing youth ministry. I started speaking and just found that I really loved speaking and working with all types of different people, different groups, different ministries. And so I do the podcast kind of as a hobby. And then as a vocation, I speak for different ministries and churches. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like we're, we're all in similar territory and company here. You're you're, you're one of our people, which is great. Yeah. Youth people, speakers, podcasters. It's, it's great to have you here. And just personally, I love your show. I felt mm-hmm. very uh, drawn to it when I first heard about it. And uh, your friend, Zachariah Paulson was the one who introduced me to it. He's on our podcast network. He's got his show, Never Ending Story, which is now Broken Images. He's doing a great job. But when I was checking out your show, I was like, this is so great because something I'm big on, and I, I know, Brian, you are too, is so many kids go through youth ministry and they have so many doubts and questions and there's things that just feel like, oh, this is taboo. Like, can I even talk about this in church? I can't mm-hmm. ask about this. I can't learn about it. So I'm going to just go see what the world has to say. I love that you're tackling those questions and you're, you're doing a great job. You're, you're, you're asking tough questions. You're thinking critically. And so, yeah, I've just, I've been impressed. Thank you. That means a lot. We, we've been blessed to have a lot of guests who do a wonderful job of tackling the, the questions. And I think that's my favorite part of the podcast is I don't have to answer any of the questions I'm asking. I just get to ask other people and, and hear their stories. And I love that. Mm, so good. That's awesome. Well, I think it'd be really cool before we get into the questions we have for you today. I think it'd be great for you to give us your testimony because if you're if you've read the the title of this episode, you probably know our topic is about Christianity and same-sex attraction and what those two things look like together. How can how can they coexist? What's the conflict between them? And so that's what your story and, and your testimony is all about. And so I I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear that. Could you share that with us? Yeah. So, like I said, I grew up in ministry. My dad was a pastor um, when I was young. And so I, the church was very familiar to me and I knew the scriptures and I knew who God was and I knew the characteristics of God. And so I grew up with this pretty, just this picture of kind of like everyone's a Christian and everyone believes this. And Christianity is a lot about what you do and what you don't do. That was the idea that I had in my mind. And so um, when I was 10, though, or when I was nine turning 10, my world just kind of imploded. And my my dad stepped out of ministry much before that. But at that time, my grandma had passed away from cancer. And then a few months later, my parents told us that they were getting separated. My dad was moving out of the house. And then a little bit after that, I ended up being molested by 
almost a total total stranger. Wow, and so my goodness. there was my my father figure was not in the house. And then I was taken advantage by another male figure in my life who was supposed to be there to protect and serve. And so for me, I looked at Christianity and I said, well, okay, all these people are saying that God is good and that he's loving and that he's with us. And here I am at 10 years old and my life is ruined and I don't feel peace and I don't feel God with me. And I, and I don't know how to deal with any of this. And so kind of at that age, I was like, well, I guess I'll just like do what my parents asked me to do. And then when I grow up all, that's when I can make the choice to walk away from this really. Mm. And so I got, man, I was just super depressed, self-harming at a young age. And by the time I was 14, I realized two things. The first thing was that I was in fact attracted to women, Mm. which was very scary to realize when you've grown up as a Christian. And then the other thing was that I didn't have any sort of trust with men. Like just any idea of any type of relationship with a man was just completely off the table because of my past. And so for me, and I, I want to make this clear that I don't believe the abuse that happened to me caused me to be same sex attracted. Mm. That was already there, but it did further my struggle with what am I going to do? What life am I going to choose to live? And so 14, I was young. And for me, I was like, well, I can't even date yet. Like I'm not allowed to date. So this isn't really something, it wasn't like I wasn't really thinking about, do I come out to my parents or not? That wasn't that conversation at that point. But I looked at my faith world and the conversations that I had heard and the sermons that I had heard in church and just thought, I'm damned. Like I'm going to hell because I'm attracted to women. That's it. That's it for me. So then it was like, okay, so what am I going to do next? And I I had this really unique growing up where I also did a lot of theater. And the theater that I did was a Christian theater group, but there was a lot of people in the LGBTQ community. Mm, and yeah. so I started talking to friends that I knew that were already out saying, hey, like, what was it like when you came out to your parents? How did you do it? How did you know you were ready? Just asking a lot of questions. Whereas I didn't feel like I could ask those questions at church. And I was like really scared and I was in a really Mm. um, great youth group, but I was like, man, I was just could not have those conversations there. Mm. And so I wrestled for a few more years and I was kind of like, I would go on dates with boys. I didn't date a lot, but for me, it was like, maybe I can just keep dating boys and something will change or, you know, my parents won't catch on. And I remember I had a Tumblr And that was like my space to express myself. And so if you followed me on Tumblr, it was like, without a doubt, oh, she's gay. Like, it's very obvious. And someone from my church found my Tumblr and shared it with my small group leader. And my small group leader shared it with my pastor. And I was just like, man, this is it for me. And I was so scared. And I remember my youth pastor was like, hey, Brenna, like, I just want to talk to you. And he was like, you're not alone. You're not alone. A lot of Christians struggle with this. And I like, I was so surprised that he wasn't like, I'm going to tell your parents and you need to like, I was so prepared for this total awful conversation. And he was so kind. And so he didn't even necessarily say like, Hey, you're wrong. Or like, don't choose this lifestyle. But he was just like, 
I need you to know that you are not alone. Mm. And I know not a lot of people talk about this, but you're not the only Christian here that struggles with this. Mm. So um, a few months later, I heard someone, we're doing like a, a difficult topic series or whatever at our church. And they were talking about all the, you know, weird politics and LGBTQ. And so that night I was like, so stressed out about like, man, what are they going to say? And like, are people looking at me and like, do people know? And, and the conversation, the, the sermon that the guy preached, he talked about the difference between temptation and actions. And that was the first time in my entire life that I'd ever heard someone say, like, you can be attracted to the same sex and still live in accordance to God's will Hmm. if you choose not to act on it. And so for me, that was like a breath of fresh air, but then it was also a new thing. Like, okay, now I have to decide, am I going to live this lifestyle that the world is telling me will make me happy? Or do I live this other lifestyle that is in accordance with my faith? And as I wrestled with that, that was like from age 16 to 17, it changed from this lifestyle, according to my faith, to a lifestyle that I know will give me peace. Mm. And so that was it. That was the choice. Like once I figured that out, because when I was chasing all these other things, like there was no peace to be found. And every time I was like, okay, maybe I'll just give this up. Maybe I'll not come out and I'll not live this lifestyle. And maybe I'll be alone for the rest of my life. I don't know. But every time I had that conversation with God, I just felt the sense of peace. And so for Mm. me, that was the easiest choice. And so that was that. I didn't really tell anyone. I didn't tell if, you know, like some of my closest friends knew, but I didn't, I never told my parents. Mm. And so, but as I got older and started doing more youth ministry, I just felt this push from God, because I know that there's so many people that struggle with this to mm. be willing to talk about it. And so after my husband and I got engaged, I told him about that. And I mean, that's a totally different story, right? Like people are like, wait, I thought you were gay. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm married to a man. And that's, that's an, also a different story. But then I also told my parents and that was just a really gracious and different conversation that I never thought I would have as well. And so since then, this has just been part of sometimes things that I talk about when I go and speak at different places, but also something that I've been continually wrestling with the theology because that's an important part to wrestle with, but also just trying to be a resource for people who feel like they're alone Mm. in, in this. So wow, that's just a little of my story. Incredible, man. That's thank you so much for sharing with that level of transparency. And, you know, that's, there's so much in there that I have so many questions about. I don't know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was a good transition, wasn't it? It's just, it's a, it's a beautiful testimony because so many of us grew up in the church and, you know, Brian and I are two straight guys and growing up in the church, you just hear this very one-sided idea of homosexuality and and same-sex attraction and all that. And it produces in Christians like a lot of weird feelings where it's just like, oh, that's that's the worst of the worst. And that's the Mm -hmm. most horrible thing. And then when you find out 
somebody is, it's like you're, you're shocked and you don't know how to deal with it. And people like who have your story, because there's more out there. There's people Mm -hmm. who have experienced this. I consider them heroes of the faith because for someone to have something that is so core to a person as their attraction to somebody to have that, but then to like lay that on the, on the altar of Christ and say like, I'm sacrificing, this isn't my identity. You're my identity. And I want what Mm -hmm. you have for me. That's incredible. And I think, you know, you, you deserve so much respect. And I think my hope is that this, this show would be a really encouraging show and episode for people who are struggling and even people who aren't struggling, but they need to learn about people who are struggling with this. And so I think my first question for you, Brenna, would be, you know, just for the sake of anyone listening who is going through what you're going through or has gone through what you've gone through, I'd love to hear about what has been uh, the hardest part of this journey for you. I think the interaction with the interaction with society, because there are always people who will tell me like, you did the wrong thing. Mm. You did the wrong thing and you should just do what you want. And I think there's always this interesting notion that when you get married, your attraction to like everyone else in the world disappears. Mm -hmm. And like everyone, if you're gay or straight, no matter what, you know, that's not true. Mm. And so I think it's been interesting wrestling with it and struggling with it through marriage, but it's also been just really humbling to be able to have a partner to talk to about it like openly. Mm. But yeah, I think there's always, there's always, people who just very strongly disagree with your choices. And then there's always people who miss the human aspect of the conversation where it's like, Hey, I like, I struggle with this and I wrestle with this. And it's almost like, I feel like there's a similar, I know we're not talking about this in this episode, but a similar thing with sometimes how Christians handle and talk about abortion yeah, as Mm. if women who've had abortions aren't hearing anything Mm -hmm. of what they said, like, these are real people who really mm. struggle. And so, yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely been the hardest part is coming out to society in a, in a different way than what is actually coming out and then mm. having people comment on your, on your choices in your lifestyle. Wow. Yeah. It's gotta be, I, I can only imagine, like I, I see so much in culture when someone, you know, coming out is a big moment for someone Mm. who's going to be, who wants to live in the LGBT community. And one of the things that I've heard from different people is once you reach that moment, you find a place now. Like part Mm. of it is you're coming out into this kind of community. It's so interesting to think about the inverse of it, of it. It's almost like you're stepping out into a place where I don't even have people that are with me in this group. Mm. And so much of what you were talking about through that story, I, I kept hearing that theme of, I just didn't want to be alone. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't mm-hmm. want to be the only one in this place. And I, I can imagine the difficulty and maybe you could speak to that fear of, I'm going to step out into what I believe is faithfulness and it's going to leave me completely alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had a lot of candid conversations with my mentor about this just over the last year and a half. And something that she said to me is just bringing up the narrow path, right? That we see in scripture and how she's like, I'm convinced it's a narrow path because there's not a lot of people on it. Wow. Hmm. And for me hearing that is like, Oh, that sucks. (laughs) But it's also (laughs) Mm -hmm. like, 
yeah, well, God didn't call me to live this life that's like going along with thousands and hundreds, millions of other people. He called me to faithfulness and, you know, radical obedience is a part of the Christian life and it's difficult, but it's always worth it. That's amazing that you had that mentor to guide you through it. Was was that mentor someone who had also been through same-sex attraction or was this someone who was just in the church and loved you and just wanted to support you? No, yeah. Someone who I just met. I mean, it's yeah, I met her when I was 12. It's a kid who overshared a lot. She asked me <laughs> if I want to get coffee. I've gotten coffee with her about once a month ever since I was 12. And so someone who... She, there was just never a moment where anything I said ever shocked her. Maybe it did and she hit it really well. But Mm -hmm. I think that aspect was so, so, so comforting because you can imagine how many conversations you have with people when you talk about stuff like this and they're shocked and you're like, oh, I feel a little Mm -hmm. displaced with what I just shared. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I think in the church that I grew up in, there was a woman who had a very similar story and lived a lesbian lifestyle for probably somewhere between 10 and 15 years after like leaving the house and graduating high school and things like that. And one of the things that I noticed in our church, you know, she has an amazing story of God's redemption. She goes and speaks to this very similarly to the way that you do. And one of the things that I noticed was in our church, someone would begin to express because it was finally being talked about like, Hey, I kind of think that's me too. And we would all be like, Oh, that's like, thank you for sharing that. Mm. You should go talk to that person over there because they get it. And, and I don't, and there was this fear. So much of the ministry I know how to do begins with, yeah, I I can help you with greed because I've been greedy. I I can Mm. relate to that mindset. I can help you fight through anger issues because I've been angry before. And I know that it's not the right place to go, but it's very easy to begin with, well, I haven't been through this particular sin or this particular temptation is probably even a better way to say it. So I can't be helpful at all. What were some of the things that this mentor did that helped them relate with you despite having not been there themselves? Mm. I think the biggest thing was just that she was willing to listen. And there wasn't, I don't think she put a ton of pressure on herself to feel like she had to fix or give me answers. But every conversation we'd ever have would just be this, just, I was always met with so much grace and then always pointed back to God with so much grace. And so I think in some ways it's been almost, I want to say I've loved our relationship because we both struggle with such different things. Mm. And yet we've learned so much about how to help other people because of that as well. And I, I mean, I think she was really well equipped because she did middle school ministry for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when you do any type of ministry, but I think especially middle school <laughs> ministry, you stop, you stop being shocked after a while. And that's like, whenever I talk to it's you, the only way to survive middle school right? ministry. Yes, absolutely. 
whenever I talk to youth, my thing is always, hey, I know this seems like you're struggling with the worst thing ever. And that if you tell your leader, they're going to be shocked. They're going to be appalled. But I promise you, they've heard it before. Mm -hmm. And it's not Mm -hmm. like we are all broken people. And so I think just this realization of, for me, with myself being like, okay, I know that Lauren knows this about me. And I know that Lauren loves me. And, and the most important thing in our relationship is that I grow in Christ. And so no matter what I say, like, I know that that's her focus. Hmm. And so I think with that, there hasn't been a ton of reservations from me when it comes to, oh, what if she doesn't understand or know? Hmm. That's hmm. kind of taken away when when you realize um, that you're both pushing each other towards Christ, I think. That's really good. I, I think I think a huge issue that we see in the church is a lot of times there can be this reaction to this idea of if you're too loving, you're going to water down the truth. Mm. And I just, I just don't see that being the model of Jesus. I think of your youth pastor, right? And so you, you mentioned when you came to him and you brought up your same sex attraction, his response was to love you and to speak Mm. the truth of God's love into your life. And when you mentioned that he didn't tell you that it was wrong, uh, what came to my mind was there's probably people listening who are like, why didn't he do that? Mm. He should have, he should have done that. Like, sounds like a bad youth pastor. And the thing that I think we need to remember is it's, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Mm. And we have to trust that it's not our job to save anybody, but that God is actively doing that in people's lives and drawing them to him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, you're not required to bash people over the head with the truth every single time you talk to them. You're just one part of the journey that God has them on and he's going to continue to draw them to the truth. And I I do think that we should we should as much as we can, you know, strive to lead people to the truth and point people to the truth. But I think the Bible says it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. And I just think, you know, that story with your youth pastor is a testimony of that. You know, God, Mm. God was drawing you and he used your youth pastor in that moment. He knew exactly what you needed. You didn't need a lecture on, you know, the, the homosexual lifestyle. You needed a a word of affirmation and love Mm. that God sees you in the middle of your pain and, and your suffering. Yeah, it's that example that we see in Mark 2, right? Like, I always love when people are like, hey, will you talk about LGBTQ stuff? Yeah, well, I'm going to talk about Mark 2, <laughs> where it's where Jesus is walking through the community and he sees Levi, the tax collector, and the Jews are looking on and waiting for Jesus to call him out because he's taken advantage of them. He's taken extra taxes and all Jesus says is, hey, follow me. And later that night, you see that Jesus eating with even more tax collectors and sinners. And that speaks to the testimony of Jesus just saying like, hey, hang out with me. Because you know, if the Jews were watching, other tax collectors were also watching and waiting for Jesus to call him out. And, And what they saw in that moment is Jesus saying like, hey, let's just talk. And then I can just imagine that all those other tax collectors were like, wait, I I need to know who this Jesus is because if he's not calling him out right now, but he's entering into genuine fellowship with someone who's like me, Hmm. maybe I've misjudged him and I need to know who he is. Mm -hmm. 
It's really good. I think that's such an important point. I've been reading a book on the kingdom of God by a guy named George Eldon Ladd, which is just the coolest author name that I could possibly <laughs> think of. He's the uh, inaugurated eschatology guy. He is. So I've been that. reading his book uh, called The Presence of the Future, which is basically uh, him kind of outlining that view of the kingdom of God. And one of the things that I, I read this morning, I, I know normally you do this with like a thing you read in the Bible, but I kind of <laughs> did like a George Eldon Ladd devotion this morning, so to speak. But he was um, talking guys, about- Brian can't be on the show anymore. <laughs> Apparently he does uh, George Eldon Ladd devotionals. We had a good run. Read his so. book. Heretic, you're, you're out. If it's a good quote, can I get, can I be back in? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that he was saying was- all of the rabbis to the time of Jesus, their followers had in common the teachings of that rabbi. Like the rabbis were never asking, be devoted to me. It was always be devoted to my teachings. Mm. And while Jesus certainly gave tons of teachings that he wants us to live in accordance to, he made the argument that Jesus was the first rabbi to come along and say, it's not just about, do you follow my teachings? It's about, do you relate with me? Mm. Are you committed to following after me? Because if you are, then that's what I'm calling you to. And that's even what he argues being part of the kingdom is, just being devoted to the king. Mm. And so just that idea of it's not about just do I do the Jesus things? It's am I with Jesus? And Mm. that's what he's calling me to. And that's what he's calling all of us to. It's really good. So Brenna, one thing that I'd want to ask you is, could you give any advice on how to help people find empathy for those who are struggling with what you struggled with? And, you know, the reason I ask is because I feel like there there's a big lack of empathy a lot of times. Um, I remember one time I was with my youth group when I was a youth pastor and the boys in the youth group started making gay jokes and just mocking gay people. And in kind of the culture that we were in, that was kind of like an acceptable thing to do because a lot of the adults did that. It was just like gay jokes were just a thing. And I felt convicted to pull them aside. And I was just like, Hey guys, listen, like we need to talk. Like imagine I, as a youth pastor pulled you aside and was like, Hey guys, I've been studying the scriptures. And it turns out your attraction to women, if you act on that, it's actually sin. So like Mm. you can't get married, you can't have sex, you can't have kids. Like, you know, it's sin. And, 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 you know, if you want to follow Jesus, like this is the way would you like, and and the boys were like, if you said that to us, I don't even know if I could be a Christian anymore. Mm. Like, I don't even know if I could follow Jesus because that's like too big of a cross to carry. Like, you know, I've got my biological stuff going on. Like, how can I, how could I do that? And I was trying to say, guys, that's like what Christians who identify like with same sex attraction, that's what they deal with. Like we shouldn't be mocking gay people. Like, the, the Christians who struggle with this and overcome it and follow Jesus, like they're heroes. Like we need to be open to showing that kind of empathy. So in, in have, what are the ways that you have seen, like have, have mm-hmm. what are ways that people have shown you empathy in your struggle that have really helped you on your journey? I think the first thing was just this like realization of hearing someone say like all sexual temptation is just that sexual mm-hmm. temptation. And so we all have sexual brokenness and whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, it's sexual brokenness. Mm. And then I think also being aware that the life that God calls same sex attracted people to is not easy. Like you said, 
it's it can be painful it's lonely and it can be isolating and you know there are very few people who have stories like mine I can think of Jackie Hill Perry and Rachel Gilson who wrote the book Born Again This Way those are um, both women who have same-sex attraction who married men so that's a similar story to mine but then there are many if not most who are called to celibacy and we don't operate in a way that acknowledges those people. Like the church hardly operates in a way that acknowledges single heterosexual people Mm. and being more aware of your language. Like the subject of dating probably isn't single people's favorite thing to talk about, (laughs) but also like the group thing, you know, I know many single people who they're, they're much older than the group that the singles group in church is targeted towards. <laughs> Single people are not incomplete, as cheesy as that sounds, but we often treat them and talk to them as if they're missing something. Mm, Marriage sorry. is not a promise. Mm. You know, th- this may be, I don't know, but I think of Jesus and I think of Paul, who were amazing leaders, amazing ministry, and who were single for life. Um although there's different speculations about Paul, but from what we see in the biblical example, these people who are single, who had prominent positions in church ministry and even kind of in society and how uh, we, we don't interact with single people that way. We don't often put single people in places of position in our churches, or we don't often think like, hey, I'm going to ask that single person to be my mentor or to lead this group or whatever. And I think just being more aware of like, that is not, that's, that's not, it's not a barrier that should be stopping them from engaging in leadership positions or whatever in your life. And so just being more aware of how you talk to people. And because I think there's always like, weird like when I was growing up now because I'm out quote unquote um it doesn't happen as much to me but I think when I was growing up and then this probably happens with a lot of people who are not out but it's weird to be like hey like I haven't seen you as a girl like is there any girls you're interested in like that's super weird (laughs) if you're not really close with someone that's Mm. like I don't think that's an okay conversation to have in a casual space because it it can cause a lot of anxiety and it's also like it's not important you know ask them about themselves what do they like to do what are you know what are they passionate about just so I think that's all pretty basic stuff but also things that we tend to overlook it's really good yeah I'd love to kind of push into that a little bit further when we think about the way that church is supposed to operate it's supposed to be a place where there's openness it's supposed to be a place where we're all identifying with one another. And yet so often there are, like you're saying, there are these either sometimes small, sometimes so massive, you can't even avoid them. There are these things that kind of promote this culture of, Hey, it's not cool that you talk about this. It's not Mm -hmm. cool that you share that. Some of them are like you're saying of the, in the foyer coming up to you and being like, Hey, so any prospects, huh? Mm-hmm. And which is like Gosh. weird, no matter what orientation <laughs> so you're talking about. It, it's just mm-hmm. such a weird conversation so to have. So creepy. But I think it's easy. It's easy to think 
Like there's the the people that are just super doing it wrong, but of course I'm doing it right. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to start peeling back some of the more subtle ways that we create this culture of if you feel this, don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. What were some of the more subtle signs that you were picking up when you were like, I, I want to be able to talk to somebody about it, but because they've done this, this, and this, I feel like I'm not allowed to share this with them. I think the first was always like in youth group would always be like, what boys do you guys like? Or like, <laughs> hmm. I saw you were hanging out with so-and-so, which is maybe forward, but even if it wasn't me, even if it was like a leader talking to another girl in my group, you'd be like, oh man, this isn't even a possibility for me to like have this in their hmm. minds. I think always it's always also a conversation of like the other. So I think often when we talk about LGBTQ relationships in churches, it's always as if these are people who are outside of our church walls and not in our wow. church walls. Yeah. And it, and there's always, it's all, can I go on a little bit of a rant? Yeah. Is that okay? Absolutely. Are you okay? You, you, you can say that. <laughs> okay. I, um, I wrote long notes for this one, but I was pretty excited about it. But I think Go it has it. a lot to do with what we are and what we're not sharing when it comes to the subject with mm-hmm. this conversation in church. You know, for me, I grew up hearing being gay is a sin. So when I realized that was me, like I said, I thought I was damned. Like that was it. So it wasn't until I heard that sermon that touched on the very important nuance. I realized like we don't explore the question what does what does it mean to be gay? We don't mm. explore that question enough yes, in church yes. when we're having LGBTQ-centered conversations in the church. So for me, I try to encourage people, like, if you're going to preach a sermon on your church's stance on homosexuality, you have to be explicit by what you mean. Mm. And here's there's a great example. There's this movie coming out, and it's called 1946. I would... I would deem it a progressive Christianity movie, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's about how the word homosexual was not put into the modern English translation until the year 1946, mm-hmm. which is true. But that conversation has so much nuance. And so it doesn't touch on the fact that as we discover more manuscripts that make up the biblical text, we gain more clear understanding of what the biblical text means. Right. And so Mm -hmm. occasionally um, scholars and people who study the Bible and put together translations, they change or put in a new word that they feel best describes what the original text meant. However, they didn't always get it right and they don't always get it right. And so with the term homosexual, which, which the movie is focused on specifically, with 1 Corinthians 6, 9, we see that the term isn't actually accurate because what it was meant to describe was sexual relations um, and like the act of sex. So you would never use the term heterosexual to describe a man and a woman having sex. So heterosexual and homosexual describe the attraction, but not the action And so the movie takes that mistake and instead of running towards the original text, they run towards another misunderstood translation. But all that to say is that um, the confusion comes because there wasn't specificity. And so when you sit down and ask, what do we believe about being homosexual and is it a sin? You have to go down the list of what does it, what does this mean and what can it mean? Because if you ask someone, are you gay? 
that can mean five different things to five different people. Hmm. And so, you know, I would say, do we believe being homosexual is a sin? Like I would say, I don't believe it is because I can't find any biblical arguments calling Christians to be straight, but I do see biblical arguments calling us to be radically obedient towards Christ. And then that means if we are engaging in sex by the sexual ethic that God has given to us. So mm-hmm. there's a really great quote by Jackie Hill Perry, who um, wrote this book called good God or gay girl, good God. Mm-hmm. And She says this, she says, I know now what I didn't know then. God was not calling me to be straight. He was calling me to himself. The choice to lay aside sin and to take hold of holiness was not synonymous with heterosexuality. In my becoming holy as he is, I would not miraculously be made into a woman that didn't like women. I'd be made into a woman that loved God more than anything. Mm. And so I think we create barriers when we don't do the research and when we aren't clear and that's, that bleeds into everything. So Mm. this topic usually scares struggling people into silence because it feels like the only way to not be sinning is to just be straight. Mm. But I don't, I don't see that in the text. And if you had to ask me now what my sexual attraction is, I would still say that I'm attracted to women. You know, that hasn't changed for me. But what has changed is my view of God and how he comes alongside me in my struggle. Mm. And so my view of marriage has obviously changed. My view of love has changed. And sharing about the struggles as well, I think, invites same-sex attracted people to be more comfortable talking and finding community. And so it's just this whole realization that there is nuance with this conversation. And when we don't bend to the nuance when we don't leave room to have a nuanced conversation we're shutting people out or we're um, putting more laws around the laws that aren't supposed to be there that god didn't put there and so yeah i think that's the biggest thing that bleeds into like everything yeah oh i love that phrase laws around the laws Mm -hmm. that's such a good way to say that yeah, so it's um it's biblical. So I I can't I don't know which there. I'm not a well, I was a Bible major. This is bad, <laughs> but it's somewhere in the Bible. That's awesome. Like it's just everything you said was so good and, and so impactful. And I feel like anybody listening to this who is struggling through this, I hope this is like a stream of encouragement and just living water, you know, to their souls. Because it's like, man, we just <clears throat> we get it so backwards. Like I've I have friends who have told me they've been in rooms of people who are like fine sleeping around with their boyfriend and girlfriend, but then they talk about homosexuality like it's the worst thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's like they don't even like realize the hypocrisy of their own broken sexual ethic. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head to be straight or or gay, to be same sex attracted or opposite sex attracted that it's not a sin. It's a it's a product of one biology and then also mm. like there, there's brokenness in the human world that is there, there's things that are not the way that God intended it to be but it's the reality and so it's like what do we do with it and if we treat people who are dealing with those attractions like they're they're sinners it just doesn't add up it, that, that's one of my biggest things that drives me crazy is inconsistent logic especially within the church because 
if we would say to somebody, okay, so you're straight. Well, who are you attracted to? Well, okay, someone would say, you know, who's married, I'm attracted to my wife, but I'm also attracted to girls that I'm not married to. Mm-hmm. Well, then are you in sin for being straight? No, but you'd have to deal with these temptations. It's what do mm-hmm. you do with it? Like, how do you react to the temptation? So, you know, it's, it's crazy because I just, I know that there are many Christians that are still on the fence and, and they would feel like to say you can be gay and be Christian is like blasphemy, but it's Mm. like, what are we actually saying when we say that? We're talking about somebody who is experiencing the attraction, not necessarily somebody who's living it out. And when we're so concerned with controlling the conversation and making sure that people only talk about it in the terms that we want them to, we're never going to make any progress in helping people. And I just think that it's sad that we're at that place, but I love stories like yours because it's showing that there is hope and a way forward. Yeah. And I think that this is where it's important to make sure that we're not talking about ideas of people, but that we're talking to real people. It's really easy to stay in your little circle. And then when you think about a same sex attracted person, it's not just like some idea of a person that you feel like you know what they're posting on Facebook. You feel like you know what bumper stickers are on the back of their Toyota. You feel like you know all the... Like, it's not this image of a person that you've probably been fed and you've probably specifically been fed to hate. Mm -hmm. You know, if if that's what it is, then of course you're going to view them as your enemy. But when it's, oh, the 15-year-old girl in my church needs someone to talk to, like mentally pick out a 15 year old girl in your church and imagine that she came to you and, you know, pick any issue you would Mm -hmm. want to treat it with love and with kindness and with nuance. You'd want to listen to them. So it's so important just to come back to, we're not trying to deal with the homosexual problem. Like in this big grand term, we're trying Mm. to minister to individuals. And that means, Mm figuring out where they are at in this moment and helping them walk closer with Jesus from wherever their starting point happens to be. That's good, Brian. On, on that note, Brenna, I would ask you, and this might be a hard question. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to dig up any hard memories of people that you've dealt with, but have you on your journey, have you faced criticism from Christians who are like, no, like what you're doing, Brenna, isn't enough until you get to the point where you no longer have that attraction. Like you're not, you're not okay. Like you have to, you have to get to that point where that's gone or, or it, it doesn't count. Have you dealt with people who've kind of had that mentality? I've, I've had minimal conversations with people who would say, no, I think attraction is still a sin. Mm. And most of the time that's in like, passing or internet situations where I'm like, Meh, I don't really feel like I need to dig further into this. That's good. Yeah. I'm, uh, I think people have been pretty, pretty gracious. That's um, good that's for awesome. most internet situations. Of yeah. Just don't dig deeper in and you'll generally be a happier person. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Um, would you have any advice as, as another youth person uh, who's done youth ministry? What, what would your advice be to youth pastors who are dealing with this, who have I would say most people who are youth pastors right now probably have Mm -hmm. somebody in their youth group struggling with this. What advice would you give them? Yeah, we'll figure out, figure out your stance and, and 
what you and what it means. What do you believe? What is your stance? And then what does that leave room for? And what does that mean? Because you have to figure out, do I think the attraction is a sin? Do I think the action is a sin? And then how do I walk through that with someone? And then I'd also say, like, just build a wealth of resources because there isn't really a reason not to. And with the internet these days and all that we have available to us, there's so many resources. And so like some that I would um, suggest is Rachel Gilson, who I mentioned earlier, wrote a book called Born Again This Way. Um, She has a good story. Jackie Hill Perry, who I also mentioned, has talks on this, but also has a book. And then there is a ministry called the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, who Preston Sprinkle. Sprinkle. Yeah. So good. He, I think he's the president and they have so many resources on their website. One of my favorite things that they have are called pastoral papers. Mm. And they're like really like scholared papers about difficult questions. Like, wow. is gender reassignment surgery a sin? Should Christians use people's preferred pronouns, but it's all, I think it's a very gracious, I think it's a very gracious resource. Mm. It's not a very legalistic or fundamentalist resource. And there's a lot of Mm. care. I remember Preston Sprinkle wrote a book called People to be Loved. That's also a great one because it walks through the theology of the biblical text but it also walks through people's stories and how we can interact with people who identify in the LGBTQ community. Mm. And then for any, like, even if you're, if you're a parent, chances are maybe your kids won't ever identify as LGBTQ, but they'll have friends and they'll Mm. have people in school. And, and so there's a ministry called, Christian sexuality and they just partnered with the center for faith and sexuality and gender. And they have like a curriculum Mm. about all things on the LGBTQ spectrum, like including gender and binaries and pronouns and just all these different things. And it's a video format. And so that's something that I'm really eager to check out. And I feel confident in recommending them um, even before I've gone through it. And so just being willing to wrestle with, the humanity of the situation, remembering that it's, it's a high probability that your kids in your youth group, like there are some that deal with it and they might not, they, they might not choose the lifestyle that you want them to choose. But if you're not willing to talk about it in a truth filled way, but also in a loving and gracious way, then they are going to seek things from the world and secular culture around them to give them answers and to tell them what to think and to tell them what to do. I desperately wanted to hear from my church, you know, was there hope for me? Yeah. And I eventually heard it, but I wish I would have heard it sooner. I love everything you're saying right now. Hmm. And you brought up middle school ministry before. Hmm. One of my big struggles, I was a middle school pastor for about seven years And one of the things that I hated the most about being a middle school pastor was knowing, like you brought up the, the year that you felt like your life imploded, I think was the word you used before you were either nine or 10 or like you Mm. were in that area. Mm. I was always feeling like 
we need to talk about these things younger than we're doing it. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like this is a conversation in church that is like a little edgy for the high school group is like super acceptable in the college group. Don't you dare bring it up to my sweet seventh grader. (laughs) Like, don't you ever bring that up here. So like we would, I I can say this now because I don't work at that church anymore. We used to (laughs) just wait for Q&A nights and it would happen Mm. naturally. And then if it didn't happen, we would just start planting our own questions Mm. so that we could bring it up ourselves. So (laughs) we would just just wait for those moments and kind of stack the deck in our favor so that we could talk about, you know, same sex attraction. We could talk about porn. We could talk about Mm. all the things that you very much need to talk about in middle school. But it was so hard to get parents on board with mm. the idea that this is a conversation that needs to happen. Because some of their kids still believe in Santa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got, it, like eighth it, grade kids that believe in Santa. It's such a weird mix in middle school. It's like mm. you have the most sweet, innocent, pure sixth grader that like <laughs> biblically, you know, they're a sinner, but like you can't see it in their <laughs> life. And then you have the eighth grader who's going on 35 <laughs> and is like bringing things to you where you're like, I have never even heard of this. Like, how do yeah. you know this stuff? And have you found any way of success for convincing parents like this is a worthy conversation? Or did you just get in line with your senior pastor who was like, hey, you're going to get some angry emails tomorrow, but I need you to deal with those emails. Well, like, what do you do as a middle school leader? statistics are always really, really important because, I mean, if you look at the statistics like about porn, kids are viewing porn for the first time in fourth grade. Yeah. Like, and Mm -hmm. so when you say that to parents, I think numbers really, really, really help and Mm. are really convincing. And like, I love, I love the Barna group. They do a really great job of Mm. collecting stats and figures and presenting it in in a kind of Christian packaged way to say like this is why this is important and why it matters I think there's always that talking to parents and understanding that like hey I know that you want to believe that your kid doesn't struggle with this or doesn't know about it because that's what we all hope I mean now I have a two-year-old and um when we found out he was a boy I was like oh crap oh no I like I I don't know what I'm going to do with a boy. I'm so nervous and scared. I, I really love him, but that's awesome. I think there's just this, there's this thing where you're like, I just want to assume that in my kids, the exception. And then mm. there's always that, there's always that moment for some parent when it's like they find the text on their kid's phone mm. or their internet history or whatever, or they get caught at school for whatever. And it's heartbreaking. And I think like I rather have that healthy, awkward starting conversation and be like, oh man, the church was the first time you heard about porn. Well, actually that's that's kind of cool. If that's the first time you ever heard about porn was at church, I much rather have that for my child and to yeah. have a healthy conversation and mm. for him to know like someone can get up on a stage and talk about porn at a church. That's an okay conversation to have than for him to find it at school from a friend and, and have it be a secret and this huge shame thing that just like mm, yeah. overtakes them. And so I think having conversations with that, like, like that with parents and mm. using statistics to help show them that it's like, Hey, this is a really important conversation that we believe in having. And then I think also if your pastors are willing, 
for you guys to just say like, hey, we're going to have a conversation about this in two weeks. It's going to be on this night. It's going to be from this hour to this hour. If you don't want your kids there, like this is your warning. <laughs> Instead of just being like, well, we can't do it. No, you can totally send out an email to parents a few weeks or a month in advance and say, this is why we believe this is an important conversation. We would love for your kids to join us, but we understand if you choose not to. And so... Totally. Yeah, that that was the most successful practical tip that we found with our middle school group. There was one night where our middle school group ran at the same time of a, a midweek service for the adults. Mm. And so they were having a service that was focused on these issues. And so we had one scheduled for like three weeks later. So mm. we at the end of the night, we put all of our leaders outside the building. And as parents were picking up their kids, we were saying like, hey, so what you just heard like tonight, we're going to do that here in three weeks. And we want you to know beforehand so that you can make a decision mm. about it. That was, it, it worked out super great. It was another pastor's idea. Shout out Brian Dunphy. It, it was his concept and he was so smart for thinking of it. And mm. it led to a really successful night where the, the students felt really honored that mm. we mm. gave them such a mature topic that we weren't like, you know, your kids in church don't break the foosball table, but like <laughs> we we trust you to talk about these meaningful things. If you're a middle school youth leader, I'd highly recommend get your pastors on board with something like that. Mm. Give your parents a couple weeks to consider it. And we only, our youth group was like 50 at the time. Mm. I knew of two kids that deliberately weren't coming because of that night because their parents had pulled them from it. I know of like 15 to 20 kids where their parents were like, thank you for doing this. Wow. I am definitely making sure like my kids been a little spotty in coming at times. We are definitely making sure they are there for that. night. Mm. That's fantastic. Yeah. Kids. I remember being that age and being at, at a youth group and thinking like, I'm dealing with all these things and I've never heard it come out of the mouth of any of my leaders or any of my pastors. And like, this is a real struggle for me. And then I was, I don't know what you call it, like church shopping. And I remember walking into a middle school youth group and the pastor was like yelling, like kind of Mark Driscoll style. <laughs> and he was talking about porn. And I just thought like, oh, this, yep, I'm going here. Because he realizes that I am a human and that we mm. struggle with real things, even at this young age. Yeah. And so I think you're so right when you say that like kids want to have those conversations. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we're, you're talking about your own son and that, that fear of the future of discovering the text or the browser history, which all parents go through. We're, we're not parents yet, but we'll face that as well. Our parents faced it. And I just think what a gift that you are, you know, to your own kid, because you're somebody who has had these, you, you know what it's like to walk in the struggle of having these things inside and, and fearing what happens if they come out. And then you had people in your life who allowed it to come out and then didn't demonize you for it. And that's just your character. Like that's who you are now. And, and I just think that that's such a blessing to your mm. kids. And that's such a blessing to the kids that you ministered to and the people that you're ministering to now. And I think we could all take a lesson out of that because, you know, it's just when you're a youth pastor or, or a parent, and a kid comes to you and says, I'm in, I'm struggling with this. And your response is like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. We have to fix this. Something is broken with you. If your response is that, it's devastating. But if your response mm -hmm. is like, oh, let me tell you about like my own sin and struggle. Like, 
let me tell you about how this is a part of the human experience, but what, look at what Jesus did in my life. And it's like, it's such a, it's, it's so much more hopeful, you know? Mm. Yeah, I definitely, like, there's been many moments in my life where I thought, this is off limits to God. Like, there's no way he's going to get this. We're, I'm not going to talk about it. And then I heard someone else's testimony mm. and went, oh, this isn't off limits to God. And he's mm. not ashamed of this with me. And he can walk with me the same way that he's walking with this other person. Amen. Mm-hmm. I think we're all very familiar with the struggles that LGBTQ people face when it comes to the church. A lot of times there is a lot of judgment, a lot of unwillingness to hear the person out, to listen to their struggle, to be empathetic. I think we're super clear on that. We've covered that. I would ask you, with the stance that you're taking as somebody who has the same sex attraction, but is choosing to live not just a life of celibacy, but like you're with a man now and you have kids, mm. like you're, you're following Jesus in this radical way. What has the response been from your LGBT friends? You know, are there, are there some that look at you and they're like, what, what are you doing? Like, you're a traitor. Like, what, what is this? Like, you know, has there been backlash? Has there been frustrations? And, and, and has God used any of that to have really deep, meaningful conversations with people in that community? I'll answer the last part first. Not yet. But mm. I trust that God is working mm. and is moving and maybe I'll never see it. Maybe I'll never have those conversations, but I, I trust that he's still doing that. But, you know, anytime you share your stance on anything, especially on the Internet, like you'll get a response and you'll get a response from people on very opposite sides and they will be very strong. Mm. You know, I I have to remember that there is a lot of pain and a lot of hurt wrapped up in this conversation and that the mm. church hasn't always done a good job of sharing the truth paired with love. Yeah. And I also think it's common for people to say, like, I feel like people say to me what they wanted someone to say to themselves mm-hmm. when they were growing up, maybe. And so, you know, I've gotten things like when I've shared my story, people saying like, this was very sad to watch mm. and you're making people mentally ill. Wow. And mm. those are those are deeply hurtful things to hear. And I think especially when this is such a, when you step out in vulnerability, those are hard things to hear. But at the same time, you know, I'm not living in this place of agony or of unrest. You know, Mm -hmm. I do struggle at times with my choice to not live a lifestyle that the world would call me to live, Mm -hmm. but my struggle never lacks peace. And so to me, that is what grounds me and keeps me being able to have this conversation, you know, and I continue to pray that God would lead me out in peace and truth with this conversation. Mm -hmm. I've done the theological research and I continue to do theological research and learn, but I always try to pair it with asking God, like, do you want me to share this right now? Mm -hmm. Or should I, do I need to be quiet for a little bit or is there someone that needs to hear this in this room or is there someone where maybe this would be more hurtful in some ways or not? Mm. And so Mm. just trying to live out in discernment with that part of my story and not be, not be overbearing with it because it, it, to someone who lives a different lifestyle than um, I do, but identifies the same way that I do. I, I acknowledge that my story could be overbearing in some ways and at certain times. And so just trying to be super aware of of that and just knowing like, yeah, I, I mean, I think 
I th- <laughs> I think I have I've won the jackpot because I have peace. Mm. And that probably mm. sounds like a really rude, awful thing to say. But I when I met with hurtful things from people who think that what I've chosen to do with my life is awful, I just remember that like I'm standing in a place of peace and they might not be and they might not know truth and they might not know light. And maybe that's what's coming out of that. And so mm. just, yeah. yeah, being aware. I'm like, I'm tearing up over here. Cause you're, you, you, I just, I love your, your grace and your wisdom in this area and it's powerful. And I think people listening are going to be affected in a powerful way and yeah, just blessed by you, blessed by your story. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's a very Jesus-like response that mm-hmm. I feel like I'm hearing from you, that, you know, Jesus was willing to take on the barbs, the accusations, the, the clear untruths that were thrown at him and, you know, hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They, they don't see what they're doing. And I feel like there was a part of your answer where I felt like you were almost just rephrasing father, forgive them. They don't mm. know what they're doing. So it's, mm. it's cool to see as much as it cool probably isn't the right word. Cause I, I know that this is a really weighty, meaningful, personal thing for you. And, but it, it's amazing to see how mm. Jesus like you are in the face of that. And I think that there's so much to learn just from that kind of example of being willing to stand up. I mean, no one stands up to the internet and wins. It just feels like (laughs) that never happens. And I don't know if you feel like you're standing up to the internet and winning. I don't think anybody feels that way, but I think that there is a sense of you are, we we did an episode recently on the way we win and it was all Mm -hmm. about not exercising power through violence or anger or through demanding to be the loudest voice, but through sacrifice and love and giving of yourself. And I Mm. think that you're a great example of doing those things. That's super kind. Thank you. Yeah. And the thing I just want to draw attention to is just, you know, this is for all, for all Christians out there listening and and for non-Christians too, if you're listening, like what Bren is doing and what, what we're doing as Christ followers, we're not, it's not about just like following the rules in an ancient rule book. Like, it's not just like, oh, got to make sure you follow the rules. It's this idea of Jesus is the most compelling, powerful force in the universe. He is amazing. He's redemptive. He saved us. He loves us. He wants to change us. He wants to revolutionize everything about us. And so we want to follow him. We want to listen to him and we want to understand that what he tells us, his his rules, his commands are actually the things that will help us find what the good life is, the things that will help us find peace for all of our, our anxieties and frustrations and, and anger and, and all of these things in the world that we struggle with. Jesus is the answer. So what you're doing, at least what I understand you're doing, is it's not just like, oh, well, I better do what this this book says. But it's like, well, no, like who wrote that book and, and why did they write it? And you're, try, you're trying to follow Jesus. You're just trying to do your best to follow Jesus and you're trying to be faithful to him. Mm. And I just have mad respect for that. So we're talking about the way that internet dialogue is kind of hitting you now. I kind of want to back a little bit up in the timeline of things. You mentioned earlier that as you were kind of becoming aware of different feelings of different things within you, that 
it felt like there was a conversation happening with culture and mm. that there were things that you were hearing and seeing and experiencing that made it not feel like it was just you on your own, but there was a whole cultural narrative kind of coming your way. Can you share a little bit on the way that that impacted your thinking and how we should be aware of what this cultural narrative is actually mm. doing? It It's easy to kind of feel like it's just this thing that's against us, but I don't always think that we know how it hits individuals. Yeah, it's funny when you say culture, the first thing I thought of was like Glee came out when I was young <laughs> and just being like, oh, there's two there's lesbians on this show. And that was like the first representation, I think, for me that I saw mm -hmm. that I was like, whoa, this is like two girls in high school and like this is normal. But then the characters also struggled with it within the narrative. And so mm. but also like kind of being aware of at least in my household that their culture has this narrative that's kind of. I would say a little bit against Christianity too and presents Christianity in a really strange way. Mm. And so it's funny. My, my, I wasn't supposed to watch Glee. I wasn't allowed to watch it, <laughs> but my parents were like, okay, you, my mom was like, you can watch it. If you find a Bible verse that's applicable to each episode and like, oh you have to write gosh. about why it's applicable. <laughs> Such a good and, Christian mom. Move. Right. Wow. <laughs> and to me, I'm like, wow, this is so homeschooled. But now I think about <laughs> that and I'm like, wow, for me, that was like, because my whole life growing up was like, the Bible is just not applicable. Like it's like good advice, but that's about it. Because like, here's this God who says he's with us and here I am suffering and I'm alone. Hmm. And so having to look in this ancient book and try to find things that were applicable to this like modern, cool music show <laughs> for me was like, wait a second. Okay. There are some things that like, there's some like, especially within Paul's letters, like, they dealt with a lot of this stuff in the church. Like they dealt with sexual immorality and they dealt with gossip and they dealt with like all this crap in the church. <laughs> and so I think for me, because of my mom's parenting, I had this really unique, this really unique experience of being able to look to the text and see, okay, it's applicable for what I'm dealing with now. And so I culture culture offers offers you so much stuff that's all empty. It's all empty. So like everything I wanted, like I would stay up late at night and watch like, I don't know, whatever like lesbian clips of girls like dating in weird British shows that I could find. Cause I just was like, <laughs> this is what I want. This is my dream. This is whatever. And then it was like, what did that have to offer me? Nothing like it just showed me what my flesh wanted. I don't know if I'm making a lot of sense right now, but no, totally, totally I makes think, sense. I think there's just a lot of like, <sighs> I think there's so much stuff of culture that it's like candy, right? So it's like, oh, I want it, it tastes good, I like it, and it rots your teeth. <laughs> if that's all you're eating, if that's mm -hmm. all you're doing, if you're not brushing your teeth, if you're not being diligent with your health. Like it just rots your soul. And so for me, as I like got older and older and started to commune with God, instead of like communing with culture and 
finding these things like, okay, I'm attracted to women. So I'm going to find things in culture that support that and promote that and commune with culture in that way. Then I started communing with God and saying, I'm attracted to women. I struggle with this. You can fill this hole much better than culture could ever fill this hole, than a person could ever fill this hole. You'll fill it completely and in a way that is so beyond what the world has to offer me. I That's that's when I fell in love with God. Mm. And so, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say what your mom did was brilliant because yeah. so often we just consume culture and culture becomes the way that we think. And then we come back to scripture and we interpret scripture through the lens of culture. Mm, so it's like, because mm-hmm, culture mm-hmm. says this scripture can't say that it can't mean that it, it has to mean what culture says it does, but your mom was teaching you to look at culture through the lens of scripture. You were interpreting the, the culture through the lens of scripture, man, what a good mom. Shout out to Brenna's mom. Yeah. She's amazing. Good job. Brenna's mom. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, the interesting part that stood out to me in that response was I, I think that there's a number of Christian parents that probably look at if I let my kids experience too much culture, it'll turn them gay or it'll do whatever mm-hmm. they happen to think, whatever it is they don't want to see their kids become. And it's interesting you're bringing up, it's not even just that culture showed, represented different things to you. It's also that it showed you a certain way of thinking about the church. Mm. And I think that that's the interesting thing where of all the different ideas that I see culture present, I feel like the strongest one that I see is this certain version of Christianity that just isn't biblically faithful. Mm. And so to see that example, let's just keep praising your mom. That's really what I want to do for the rest of this podcast of like to see her say, yeah, go see what culture is talking about and then go see how the Bible relates to what culture Mm. is talking about. We could praise that parenting technique for the next 20 minutes and I'd be super happy with it. But instead, I'll ask one more question and then we'll wrap up. I wonder if people are listening to this and are thinking, okay, I've heard this story. I relate to this story. I want to begin walking this road. I am scared to death because I don't even know what comes next. Mm -hmm. I, I think about a number of things I've done in life it's been easier because I kind of know what the path is. You know, I've, I've heard like when you move away from home, like the six month mark is a really difficult time. Mm. Or like if you're trying to lose weight, like the first 10 pounds are the easiest and then it gets harder. I've heard Cheryl Crow saying the first cut is the deepest. <laughs> um, when you're thinking about the journey that you've walked on, can you share what any of those markers may have been along the way or what, if someone is saying, I'm ready to walk this path, what are mm-hmm. some of the things they should expect as they walk this path? Yeah, I think the first is just kind of what I already talked about, but being in communion with God, because that for me was what changed because it was like culture was telling me what culture thought and then culture was also telling me what God thought, right? And so it's mm-hmm. like Christianity says this is gross and this is bad and this is blah, blah, blah. And for me when I finally started to have conversations with God, I finally started to see like, Oh, you are offering me so much more Mm. than what Mm. the world could ever offer me than what this lifestyle could ever offer me. And that's like, if like, if you're trying not to live an LGBTQ lifestyle simply for the sake, because you think that's what your faith requires of you and you're doing it, out of relationship and not within relationship with Christ, 
Mm. It's going to feel so empty and so difficult because the grace of God is not there. Mm. And um, man, it's like the lifestyle that I have chosen to live, I do out of devotion because I've fallen in love with God so radically. And and Mm. that makes me sound like, wow, I'm amazing and I'm doing so good. But I'm just saying that simply because like, if I was in love with Jesus, like I would, I wouldn't be living this lifestyle. I mm-hmm. simply would not be living this lifestyle. Wow. So I think communion with God is the, you just have to anchor yourself with God and have those tough conversations. And there's so many times where I've like talked out loud to myself, but to God in my car about this. And I think well, people think I'm crazy, but, but that's like, those have been the most meaningful conversations that I've had with God. And then I also mm. think accountability is really, really important. There's like, there's a tough struggle for same-sex attracted people when it comes to coming out. And so for me, I never came out as gay. That was something I, I never did. I came out as same-sex attracted with my story after I got married. And to me, that was a really safe thing to do. And, and part of that is because I realized that the more I shared about my same sex attraction with people who maybe who had a different worldview than I did, that invited more temptation and more struggle into my life because I had a lot of people saying, wait, I disagree with you. And like, you should just try stuff and you should just figure out what you like and you should just do whatever you want. And, and that's, difficult it's difficult anyway but if you're trying to live a certain lifestyle right like if you're going to quit smoking and then you're around people who are always offering you cigarettes like that's probably not the best choice Mm. and so for me it was finding people who had the same worldview as me who would support me in my walk towards christ in this and then it was after that making conscious decisions about how I share my story. I know that there are a lot of Christians who would say, "Um, I'm gay or I'm lesbian and I'm celibate. And for me, um, that's never been something that I've chosen to uh, use identifiers for because I have seen, I've seen the way that that can invite again, people who live a totally different lifestyle into your life to say like, Hey, I think you're wrong and you should just try this. And so I think just being almost hyper aware of the conversations that you're having and who you're having them with, and then allowing God to walk out. Cause I think a lot of times I hear people who are like, man, like I struggle with that, but I want to share my story too. But for them and for me at a certain point in my life, if I would have shared my story too early, it would have been, it, mm. it could have been really hurtful because there could have been people in my life who would step forward and say like, Hey, I struggle with this too. Do you want to hang out? And, 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 and that can not go well. Mm. And so, um, wise. yeah, being aware of that and then finding a community that believes and supports you. Mm. And so people who are not like, Hey, wow, this is gross. Or like, I disagree with the attraction action type part. I think it's really important to be in a community that sees you for who you are and doesn't see you for your sexual identity Mm. because that's not how Christ sees us Yeah, and is willing to engage. And then also willing to support, like I have a community, we're in a community group at our church and 
I got asked to speak about this at a church a couple months ago. And so I shared, it was like pretty early in our community group. And I just remember being nervous <laughs> be like, well, this mm. is my story, but like, I don't, we don't need to talk about it. And then how many people afterwards were like, Hey, how did it go? How was talking? Like, I'm really excited that you got to have that opportunity and just feeling supported and, and seen that people appreciate and believe in your testimony in the way that God is using it. So. Wow. Super powerful. I know we said that was the last question, <laughs> but I have just one more and I'll, I'll make it super short for anyone listening to this who would say to you, Brenna, after hearing your story, like, Brenna, my sexuality is such a core part of who I am, how I see myself, how I feel about myself, my identity, how I interact with the world. How could you ask me to give that up? How could you ask me to sacrifice that? What would your response be to a young person or, or any person where that would be the struggle? I would say just get to know God. You don't have to let go of this right now. You don't have to change your lifestyle right now. You don't have to, it's not this huge Hail Mary that you have to throw. Mm -hmm. But I, I could never like myself, I could, I don't think I could convince someone to like live this different lifestyle, but Jesus can I convince, can convince anyone into radical obedience mm. because mm. of his love, but you have to experience that love first. Mm. And so just be willing. I think that's the other thing about churches and youth groups is we have to be willing to understand and to invite and make environments where people who live different lifestyles than us feel comfortable and able to commune with us in those spaces so that they can meet God mm. and learn more about him. Because again, it goes back to Mark two. It's that instead of Jesus saying like, Hey, like shape up or ship out. God said, Hey, follow me, hmm. follow me. And let's talk. And then, and Levi turns into Mark, who is a faithful disciple and follower of Jesus and not once do we see in the Bible this like big speech from Jesus condemning Levi's lifestyle. We just see Levi fall madly in love with Jesus and change over time. So good. <laughs> so mm -hmm. good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your story and your perspective and your testimony. And we'd love to have you back again sometime. You're um, definitely invited back. The yeah. invitation remains <laughs> for sure. So we'll yeah. have to find a different outfit to wear. <laughs> we'll, we'll call each other ahead of time and plan. Yeah. It. Well, it'll be part of the prep for the episode. Yeah. There Very we go. Cool. So good. thanks Brenna. Thanks for being here. Thanks everyone for listening to the good line podcast. And uh, we hope to catch you on the next one. If you want to know more about Brenna and her ministry, Brenna, where can they find that stuff? You can find me on Instagram. It's at bun on my head. So not, not too hard to forget. And there's lots of links there for my podcast as well as blogs and lots of, lots of other stuff. You can read some of my writing and feel free to reach out and you can email me if you're like, Oh, I want to talk about this. I am mm. always available. You for sure can reach out to me. Awesome. Awesome. Good to know. All right. I think, I think that's a wrap. Yay. We did it. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. If you like our show, please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes. It seriously helps so much. The more reviews we get, the more people will find us. And so if you want to help the show, please just go on iTunes and leave a quick review. We also love questions from listeners and we love to do episodes focused on questions. So if you have a question and you want us to talk about on the show, send it to our email address, which is goodlionnetwork at gmail.com. Send us a question. We'd love to talk about it on the show. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network, and it's produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters that Brian and I started with our friends. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging, and equipping podcasts. Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content that helps them as they walk closer with Jesus. If you like what we do and you want to support us, go to goodlion.io support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.